and here we are in the book cave and I'm delighted to be with award-winning young adult author Sue Lawson. Sue, welcome to the book cave. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's lovely to be here. Great to have you. Thank you. Sue, you're a prolific award-winning author, but I'm fascinated because... Having read across the range of your books, you write across so many different genres. Yeah, I do. I do. I I tend to go, people ask me how do I decide what's next, but mm. the idea kind of decides me. Um, it decides for me. I'll have things that will get stuck in my head and what it is will dictate where I go. Right. So, yeah, so that's why it's such a vast Array. Yes, it is a vast array. Mm. So we've got picture books, uh-huh. junior fiction, which mm-hmm. is primary school, yep. yeah, uh, young adult fiction, mm-hmm. and now we've got non-fiction, mm. which is fabulous. Now, your first book, I was intrigued, uh, <laughs> Dragon's Tear. Dragon's Tear. Yeah. Dragon's Tear, 2002. 2002, yeah. yes. So yeah. a 15-year career, very impressive. Mm-hmm. But um, you... Tell us a little bit about Dragon's Tear, that first book. Dragon's Tear, before then there were lots of books that sit in the bottom drawer. <laughs> and at the time, you know when you send them out and you think, oh, this might be the one, this might be the one they're going to love. And they'd come back and I'd go, oh, and send them out again. Well, the other day, about 12 months ago, I got a few of those rejections out and went, oh, <laughs> I see why they were rejected. But Dragon's Tear... After a few picture books were rejected, I thought I'm going to try some longer fiction, junior fiction. Mm. And the first one I did was about a beached whale and it went on and on and my computer crashed and I lost it, lost 29,000 words, which I think actually was the good Lord's way of saying this book is crap, give it away. (laughs) I think that's what happened there. Um, And then Dragon's Tear came about, we moved to Colac in Victoria and... I was teaching and it blew me away how sport-focused the town was. Like I'd lived in, God knows how many country towns. I grew up in Hamilton. Mm. So I'm used to country towns being sport-obsessed. But Colac was something else again. There's a reason there are four or five really good footballers like Luke Hodge who came from Colac. And I started to wonder how would a kid who was like me, I was an overweight kid, um, my younger brother was very sporty, and, you know, fitted no matter what, my thing was swimming. That's where I fitted, swimming and hockey. And I thought, now how would a kid like that fit in a town like this? And that was the first part of it. And then where I walked every morning around, not around, around the lake, but a path around the lake, I passed this open drain. And I used to go, I wonder what lives in there. What if a dragon lived in there? And that's how it happened. And I remember when it first came out, one of the reviews um, said something about this fantasy novel and I went, it's not fantasy, it's realism. It's about a boy whose parents are, you know, fighting and he can't fit in and, and I went, oh, yeah, dragons, fantasy, yeah. Oh, I see, yep. So it was funny. I had no idea it was a fantasy novel. That's fantastic. What an absolutely wonderful mm. beginning to, to an illustrious career. It was you know. When we did the launch, John Marsden was going to launch from me, but John mm. was ill at the time. Yeah. And the other drama we had, so I got a friend to launch it for me, that was all fixed. But it sold out before the launch. Oh. I've never had that happen since. Um, it was the most bizarre thing. How fabulous. It was amazing. So did, does that mean you had no books at the launch? We scrounged and scrounged. <laughs> we sold some of my um, advanced copies that you copies, get, advanced the 10 copies, copies. Yeah. we sold those as well. 
the publisher kept saying, we'll replace them, well, I don't care. But we managed to get about 100 copies. Wow. So And we sold 75. Wow. So we were lucky. That's that dream beginning, isn't it? Was. It was. And you don't realise it at yeah. the time, but as you go on, you go, yeah, that was really quite remarkable. Yeah. Mm. And, of course, that's fantastic. It's a great mm. experience. The only downside of it is that it sets the bar very high mm. at that front end. But you've gone on and had great success I with your... I have been very lucky. I've actually... Most children's book writers and young adult writers, you know, they're used not to sell out their 3,000 mm. print run. Mm. Well, I've sold out every one of my print runs. So yes. I've been very, very blessed. And I think, too, by the time Dragon's Tear came out, the second novel was well underway and the picture book, which was actually the first accepted, it was well into production. So I didn't have that what's next by the time right. it came out. Yes. I'd already started on the next ones. Now, the next ones were Ferret Boy mm-hmm. and also Tess of the following year. Yeah. But you'd also did this remarkable picture book, uh, My Grand's Different. My Grand's Different. Yeah, and that's gone international. Mm. I found that quite fascinating. It's got a big following in Asia. Huge. Yeah. Yep. Not Korea, Japan. Tell huge. us about that. Um, that book came about, I had a very dear friend, Eve Old, mm. who... She came, I met her at a John Marsden workshop. We ended up in the same ca- uh, cabin at his estate where he used to have authors come stay mm. and you'd work for the weekend. And I was having a crisis of confidence. There were these confident, over-the-top writers there who they were just fantastic, ask mm. them. And, oh, interestingly, none of them, I don't know what happened to them. But... There were just a couple of really loud, over-the-top ones, and I just felt really inadequate. And I remember going back to the room and um, Eve was in there and I said, I don't think this is for me. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough writer. Um, I'm out of my depth. And she said, well, I actually teach creative writing. Can I send you some workshop ideas? And you just do them as you do them, send them to me, and I'll give you feedback. So it's because of Eve and John Marsden that I'm sitting here. Wow. So they gave me that courage. John was just amazing. And one of the topics she gave me was just a line, my grand's different. And the only thing I thought when I sat down to do it was, well, it won't be one of those grands It's a bikey. I'll give you that for nothing. You know, I did not want to do one of those stereotypical, you know, my grand's a bikey and my grand's yeah. that. So I just started writing, and as I started writing um, different characters, my grand does this, my grand does that, the rocks in time with the breeze came into my head, and I went, oh, this grand's got Alzheimer's. And it hasn't changed a great deal from that very first draft. Um, There's been a lot of fiddling around with it, but the essence of the story, we're on holidays in Port Ferry. I'd come back from a... I had the most amazing day. We'd gone around Lady Julia Percy Island, seen seals, seen a white, saw a white pointer, might have actually offered the children on the boat that they perhaps would like to stand on the edge where I was when the white pointer appeared. <laughs> when, when you, you can't see, come over. I'll wait in the middle. And then we saw a blue whale on the way home. So no. it was the most remarkable day and I was just... And then got back and I think my daughter was watching play school or something and I just picked up the pen and out it came. 
So that's where that one came from. Right, and that's mm. been just huge. I find, Enormous. Yeah, so yeah. And, and Japan, Korea, those mm. Asian countries obviously just really has yeah. resonated with them. Canada. Canada. Canada as well. Fantastic. Mm. So I'm fascinated about picture books, mm. and I know we've got Claire Saxby coming into the book cave in a oh, couple of weeks, which is great, but I'm fascinated. I want you to talk a little bit about your picture books because, of course, there's such a contrast to the junior fiction and they the are. young adults. So just a little bit about the mindset and the language and the constraints mm-hmm. of a child's picture book. The picture books are actually the hardest to write. Mm. Um, I've done the published ones. My grand's different than Jamie Starr. Yes. and That's the cancer one. Yeah, it's the cancer one. Yeah. Uh, three E-News, which has just come, come out. out at the start of this year, and then I've got four picture books, five picture books coming in the next couple of years. Yeah, great. Um, and one of those that at this stage is called uh, The Biscuit Maker of Maven Road, but I'd like to point out I am the worst title selector, and so that will change. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But... What happens for me with them, it'll come up with an idea. With this one, we're at a friend's place. She's a publisher and she brought out this huge tin of biscuits that one of the manuscript had, and it doesn't work, by the way, um, (laughs) had sent along with the manuscript. They'd sent along this tin of biscuits, you know, as a kind of hate them. Well, as a kind of attention gets fascinating. My agent used to tell me about... They used to dread um, Monday mornings, but particularly after New Year and um, any public holiday because those were the days they would get the manuscript in the box full of fairy dust and glitter and chocolate and little extra fabulous things. And it's painful. If you ever want to not get published, put glitter in your envelope. (laughs) That's the way to do it. But um, So she'd been set this huge she'd set, thing. And so we biscuits. were talking about it and giggling. And then the next day I was back home and I was walking around the lake. Walking's a great source oh, yes. of inspiration. And I suddenly went, oh, my God, what if? And I went off on this tangent about this. What? And it started off an old woman making biscuits as a way of getting the community involved. And it's ended up as being an old man living in a street think North Baldwin, mm. Montalbert, where he's been there forever and all the houses have been knocked down. It's all the new mm-hmm, houses, mm-hmm. all the new people and trying to get that sense of community back. And so he bakes biscuits for different events, like a tooth comes out, so he tooth-shaped biscuits. And oh. then he gets sick and then a little boy who's worked out who it is, no one else knows who it is, he gathers the street and they – he. Uh, Benedict Stanley opens the door and there's this kid, Rory, with the street and everyone's got, got something to help do up this oh. house. So that one I worked on for a good 10 years and wow. it's just been accepted this year. Now, who's publishing? Walker Books. Wonderful. Not Black oh, Dog, yes, yeah. um, Walker. It didn't fit the Black Dog. Um, Profile. Yeah, no. Yeah. Ours are a bit the stuff we do for Black Dog's a bit different for that, so Walker's doing it. So I'm thrilled. So they're in the process now of getting illustrators. But then what happens with a picture book that I find fascinating, the illustrator, generally you have nothing to do with them. Yeah. And they interpret the story their own way. Yeah. And then when you come back together, you then quite often have to pair your text right back to because 
they will have the pictures telling so yeah. much. So you can use this word. Okay, so how many words would that manuscript be? Is it for that picture one's work? about four hundred. Okay, mm-hmm. so which is fascinating because then we jump, of course, to your your diva series, mm. the wonderful girl stuff <laughs> with Mickey mm. and uh, and mean the mini freak. Coco. Coco. Well, I always poor say to Coco. boys when they go, oh, I'm not reading that book. But then Coco. poor Coco because it's really her mother's fault. Exactly. Yes. It is. So mm. more about that, I think, than poor old Coco. Exactly. Um, and they are only young, these girls. They're grade five. Yeah. And that came about because at the time Australian Idol was huge. Oh, it was yeah. about the time of Guy Sebastian, those first three or four Oh, yes, series. yes. And Sophie kids, Monk in Bardot. And, yeah, yeah, all yeah. of that. And the kids were obsessed with it. You know, and I was teaching and you get to school and they'd be, oh, did you see what happened last night? And like, Can you just do your work? Yeah. Can we talk about this later? Anyway, and I also had a group and there were a lot of girls in it that weren't reading, and I'll fix you. So I pitched it to my publisher and it came about two ways. I took Ali McGregor's True Colours to my publisher yeah. now. I was with a different publisher and hand-delivered it to Andrew Kelly from Black Dog Books. And Andrew used to sit beside, behind a big table and he sat there and he said, well, yep, we'd love to read it, but we don't want just we would like to have a relationship with you. And I, my sense of humour is not good. <laughs> And I've gone, oh, Andrew, I've hardly met you. (laughs) And then went, I'm trying to get a book published here. You know, shut up, Sue. And then he said, what other ideas have you got? And then half my brain just went off. The other half's going, stop. But my brain's going, oh, all these kids are watching this show and we could do a, you know, series on this, you know, a couple of books, three or four, and he's going, I should be good. And my sensible brain's going, oh, my Lord. The other half of my brain's going, oh, yeah, eight, no worries. <laughs> Fortunately, it was four and four, so I yeah. had time to build up to it. Yes, but, yes. But they were great fun to write. Well, you can tell that because they're full of energy and mm. uh, and enthusiasm. And um, and did your students, your did they like it? They did like it. Yes. And a lot of them, um, they were very involved in it. You know, I'd say things like, tell me some jokes you do to people or what do you think of this and read bits to them and they were great. Oh, fantastic. Because that's the other interesting thing is the differences in language between mm. your picture books, the junior fiction, which is the primary school, and then, of course, your young adult fiction, and then non-fiction, mm. which comes a bit later. But, you know, we're talking about quite different sorts of um, ear here, you know, the way that you're – uh, selecting the language, the vocabulary, the words, that sort of thing. How do how do you manage that? So how long would one of the diva books be? Because they're only small. <laughs> well, the first um, draft was thirty two thousand words. <laughs> <laughs> I like to write my way into a story. Um, <clears throat> the final drafts are about eight thousand of oh, the final book are about yeah, eight thousand words each. Yes, I've got a lot to say when I write. Yes, which is nice, though, because... I'd rather override. And if you've got a a grade five child reading Mm. 8,000 words, that's great. Yeah, it's perfect. It really is. And I would rather have too much and pull back than have to pad. I don't think adding bits afterwards is a good thing for the book. Right. Now, how do you make this switch between... It's about the characters for me. Okay. Um, Picture books are different again, but with you know, grade five kids, mm. their language, their way of speaking, their interest, that dictates what you do. Um, 
So, you know, for these guys, for the older ones, they're, and for me, I like to do those kids who are trying to work out who they are and where they fit in. And so they've got much more vocabulary, more worldliness, not necessarily more outside looking. They're still quite introverted. Mm-hmm. And so that dictates the language for me. And the child itself, like the character itself, if I've got a character um, like, say, CJ or Callum, mm-hmm who's a real footy boy and he's not an unintelligent boy but he doesn't read an awful lot. He's uh, So his language is very different to, say, a Robbie who does read an awful lot in Freedom Ride and who is in the 60s compared to, say, now and his experience of the world is different. So my books are very character-driven and that dictates all the language choices and that sort of thing. So in terms of the Diva series, are you getting feedback? What sort of feedback are you getting I've from had the most gorgeous these feedback. children? They've been fantastic. Um, they collectively are my biggest selling books. Right, um, yep. They have just they went off. Um, kids love them. I would get emails from kids about them, and they'd laugh about them, and they'd love when you visited schools and talked about them. There's actually a scene in the <coughs> second book that is actually something my husband did to me. And they find it hilarious. I was doing breakfast radio at the ABC and I was one of those, still am, one of those people that wakes up going, I don't want to get up. And I'd lie there and, of course, breakfast radio, you know, you're up at four. Yes. And he used to drive him nuts, you know. He just, can you just get up and get moving? So this morning he actually virtually kicked me out of the bed. I thought, oh, it's a bit harsh. And I went to the, I don't know why I went to the bathroom first, <clears throat> rather than the toilet, but I went to the bathroom and the door was only open about that far. Well, that's unusual. It's either shut or open. And I pushed it and it exploded. He had taped, you know those party poppers? <sighs> he had taped them to the door jam to the door and you couldn't see it because I yeah. didn't have the light on. And then he'd also done the toilet as well. <laughs> I just, and he was killing himself. What's funny in the book. And they're only, you know, like the strings. He's quite a slim man, but I still can't work out how he got in and out of that door. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, so things, they love hearing those stories, that some of those things are things that have happened to me or, yeah. Fantastic. Mm. So, okay, so you you were teaching primary school, Mm -hmm. so that's easy. You've therefore got this incredible kind of reservoir or bank of available vocabulary and Mm. and insight into young people. But were you teaching high school? No, I did some um, relief teaching at high schools. I guess for me, I've always loved kids. Yeah. I've always loved, and by kids I mean, you know, young people. Me too, yeah. I just love them. I love talking to them. I love listening to them. So Court's friends would come around and, you know, you'd engage with them until she gave you the look of, get out, Mum. And then you'd just hear that banter and the tone of their voices and the way they speak, and I just love that, particularly teenager boys because they don't say an awful lot, but their body language Mm. and what's going on in their heads. Mm. Teenage boys, I just love them, especially the ones that people are quick to write off and go, 
Or they're this, or they're that. I'm the same. Yeah. But they're actually all they're beautiful. Like a red rag to a bull when someone says, oh, that person oh. is that. And I'm like, well, let's find out who they really yeah. are and I give them a chance. Yeah. I always say I love the naughty boys. Yeah. And it's not yeah. that they're naughty, naughty. They're pigeonholed as that. But they're not. They're beautiful. Well, there's things. always a deeper story, isn't there? Which yeah. leads me to your remarkable young adult novels. Because these are all books that uh, have such clear, strong stories. Mm. But they're... They really quite they have a lot of depth too, mm. you know. And I, I realize, you know, character driven, sure, but they're also really Australian. Yeah, they are. And I mm. think that's great. Mm. And you're a, obviously a, a Victorian girl, you yes. know, grew up in the Western. In um, Hamilton. Yep. So, yeah, Western Victoria on a sheep farm. That was actually was so good to write after because there is so much of. Just my love of the farm. I mean, I'm city girl now, yeah. but I do love the farm and that whole wandering around the farm and the farm at night and the shearing sheds, and I was able to use all that in after. Yes, yes, you mm. certainly were. Well, I, I found them all absolutely fascinating reads. Mm. Um, and that what you're saying about young men, mm. um, obviously this resonates very strongly with you. You feel a real connection because each of these books actually mm. is about a young man, yep. a boy at different ages and stages of life. And I'm really interested because there are, it's, it's always interesting when you read an author, you know, several books really at, at a time um, because you pick up obviously clear themes that when they've re been written many years apart, the author doesn't always pick no, up. No, I'm always fascinated. I'm sitting yeah. there going, oh, I wonder what you've noticed. So, in fact, you know, I'm getting a lot of um, – there are strong themes of death and loss mm -hmm. in, in each of these books, mm -hmm. which is not to say that, you know, these are still really uh, pacey, uh, engaging, page-turning reads. You know, you're really caught up by the character in the stories. A lot of parental betrayal mm. in these books and, and children's struggles or teenagers' struggles with, I guess, that thing that perhaps happens to most of us growing mm. up is that gradual discovery that our parents are actually fallible. Exactly. And maybe not always honest. Mm. And have their own struggles. Yeah. You know, in Dare You, um, one of the dads has come out as gay and the way he handled mm. it was such a schmozzle that the, the kid just has written him off, not because mm. he's gay, but because of the way he handled it with yeah. her. Yeah, well, there was a sort of element of betrayal in it, mm. that, that the relationship she felt she'd had wasn't, wasn't. what she, she thought it was no. and he really let her down, mm. and that comes through very well. Um, but there are these really, really strong themes Um and they're very emotional books. Yeah, they're a nice, light, happy read, aren't they? <laughs> well, no, there isn't. They're an easy read. There's nothing heavy about them. No, but, but they're heartbreaking. Some but, of the things yeah, are yeah. particularly that one. I have kids who've read Dare You that when I go to a school, they'll come up and they'll stand in front of me with their hands on their hips and go, what did you do that for? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. It made me cry too. <laughs> so. And why did you do it? It was really a strange thing. I'll say what I did. I killed a character and dramatically and brutally. Mm, mm. Um, I wanted to play with that whole thing of when a friendship dies, particularly that age group, that year nine age group, mm. friends change, mm. but quite often they cling on to them. I know I did well past when you should, to the point you actually become toxic for each other. And I'd watched it happen with my daughter. I'd watched it happen with my friends, my, you know, 
um, my cousins, my brothers and sisters, mm. and so I wanted to explore that. And for these guys, it was represented in these dares that kept escalating yeah. and, kept, and also kept giving them that rush of adrenaline that got them out of their own worlds, which was quite complex anyway. Caden, oh, God, I love Caden. Caden mm. is my favourite character in that. I just mm. adored him. Mine too. And I knew I knew there was going to be, at the time there were lots of stabbings at the time I was writing it, and young people getting stabbed. And it was, I remember thinking, God, they're like little kids that they haven't quite grasped the concept that it's permanent. It is yes. forever. Um, and I wanted to play with that. Yeah. And I wanted to play with um, the grief of the situation, how each girl reacts, you know, because there's the three of them hanging out together. But I wasn't going to kill him. It was when I was writing it, I remember ringing my editor, who's a dear friend of mine now, and said to her, oh, my God, Caden's going to die. It, I tried to make it very light-handed the way I wrote it and very sudden and you don't – it's not a – Particularly graphic scene, I don't think. I mean, it's graphic. No, scene, no. It, but it's, it, yeah. Um, it's deftly done, I have to that's say. That's what I tried to do. Well, you achieved you that. You know, the flash of the knife. Yeah. And, the, you know, the and then the aftermath, actually, I felt was very true to life because it, it isn't a lot left of the book. No, no. It's you know, it's quite quick. Yeah. And, and obviously in the news comes through, it's very much exactly how it would have been mm. in, in real life. So... What sort of age group are you aiming a book like this That at? one is what we're calling middle, which is sort of year 8, 9, 10 up. And, and the response? It's been good. It's been good. The biggest criticism I get from kids about it is the cover. Um, yes. Yeah. They don't well, like the cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but apart from that, good. They're mainly angry over Caden. Why? And I'm oh, yeah. sorry, I'm sorry, but it had to happen. It worked. For the book for me, it had to happen. Yeah. Um, and for him too. That's the cassette tape is interesting because you use it as an icon mm. at the beginning of each chapter as each mm. um, character changes. Um, but, of course, now they've done that 13 Reasons Why. Mm. That's also done with a cassette tape. Mm. So it's perhaps not as old school no, as I children might once have thought. More accepted than it was when it came yeah. out, which was about two thousand and eight or nine, I think. Um, um, two thousand and ten. Oh, ten. Dare you? So then, you know, CDs were the thing, and yeah, of course, um, yeah. and it hadn't gone to that retro. No, but now it's okay. Mm. So I thought this was. Well, I think they're all really extremely well written, oh, thank um, you. but this is uh, Caden is definitely a standout character. Um, this was a fascinating book and um, a Did real... Did you pick it? Um, Did you pick what had happened? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Adults do Oh, yes, don't. yes, that's right. Yeah. So the kids don't pick Generally what happened not, at all. No. Is that true? Mm -hmm. oh, okay, that's really interesting. Mm. A huge burden. But again, we have, uh, you have this theme of the one absent parent. Yeah. So the absent mother mm -hmm. is in all three books. Yep. Which I find interesting. Mm -hmm. Is that a clue to anything to do with you or... Is that just? Yes, possibly. I did feel quite um, alone at times. Oldest in the family, you know, we we elders tend to look after yourselves a bit, and you're watching the younger ones get that more attention. So yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Mm. So because that is a consistent theme, mm. um, I'm looking forward to reading um, Finding Darcy. 
Oh, Finding Darcy. Yeah. That's based on my grandfather. Yes. Or not the story itself, but what happened to her great-grandfather is basically what happened to Bill. Right, okay. So this is um, very much a country Australia book, Mm. and this is probably – this and Freedom Ride, or even like this, you could probably have set this anywhere. Yeah, yeah, you I know, mean, it's very the Australian, much Melbourne. And, yeah, that's right. Sort of context anywhere. doesn't matter, but um, this is very much the kind of fish out of water child who's been mm. moved up, you know, uprooted from the city living, dropped into the country school with the with the grandparents mm, who don't know him. No, who, who don't know him, and do he doesn't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. So, what prompted this book? This book came about when I was emergency teaching. Yep. And there was an incident in a country town where a young boy killed another boy, sheerly by accident. Oh. They'd been sent out to do a job and they'd have one of those boy fights, you know, those boy where and would have gone a bit far and one ran inside from the other, the other followed and punched and the kid fell and hit some part of his anatomy and he died. And I just was absolutely in horror that that could happen. Those poor kids, both mm, kids, yeah. um, and the poor families, yeah. they were friends. Yeah. So they were family friends. And my attention really turned to, and this is nothing to do with the boy, no less feeling for the boy who died. I mean, that poor little kid. Yeah. But that poor kid who did the act. You know, who did the – his intent wasn't to kill his, this no, kid. No, no. His intent Well, was, it could have happened to either one of them. Oh, They're both pushing absolutely. and punching and, you know. You know, it, and it was just – and you watch boys. I love what oh, – so mm. I'm going to – as I say to the kids, no, no. Yeah, I'm not a pervy old lady. But um, I love watching boys in that they don't want to touch, they don't want to hug, they don't want to do whatever, but you watch them wrestle, five mm. of them try and get through that door at once. Yeah. Um, and that's how they get physical with each other. And so I wanted to really explore what happens to that kid after because he's got to keep living. You know, his life's still going on. How do you deal with that? Mm. How do you? Uh, and what I wanted to do, because this was in a small town, I decided, no, I didn't want to do that because it would be too close. And this is nothing like what went on. You know, it's a totally different story, but it's yes. just that premise. Um, and I wanted to explore taking a kid out of a city situation where he's the king of the heap. He is, you know, over the year 12s love him. He's in year nine and everyone loves his kid, CJ. And taking him from this place where he's king of the heap, even at home, like he was shocking to his mum, to then dump him in this country situation, this small town, about the same size as Mortlake. In fact, I pretty much, that's sort of where I imagine it being around there. Um this tiny town, people that don't know him, they don't know how to handle him. They all, the grandparents know what's happened. No one else does. But he doesn't know they know. No, he yeah. doesn't think they know. So that he they know. thinks he's, so he's carrying this huge, huge burden. Yep, yeah, absolutely huge. And he's isolated himself. Anyone mm. who, try, and the guy who tries to befriend him is very much a mirror of what he was. Fruin is who he was, you know, that. King of the school, yeah, I'm yeah, cool, yeah, and he doesn't want any part of that. No, and then it's actually Benny. The I loved Benny. Benny, yes. the disabled boy. I love Benny too. Who just sees disabled, or not just disabled children, but some people are able to look through the mask and mm. see. And Benny did that. He looked straight at Callum and could see. 
He just the, knew the he was a him, good kid. Yeah. And that was really confronting for Callum because he had this kid yeah, knowing well, what also, he was really like. Well, also it was so clever because you had Benny mirroring him. Mm. And that too, I think, um, you know, played out really well. Yeah, and freaked him out. Don't be me. I'm horrible. <laughs> you know, it's that whole. Um, and I think too the grandmother made it so much worse for him. You know, I really wanted it to be tough for the grandparents for him to be at yes, home too. Yes, um, Because mum um, was left home pregnant. She'd been yes. disowned because she was pregnant. And the whole situation of what had happened to Callum's parents. So the grandmother, that's another mm-hmm. injury. She's almost like a, a forerunner for the dreadful grandmother. <laughs> In, in Freedom Road. I only knew one of my grandmothers, but she was really quite lovely. She was a severe woman, but she wasn't like that. No. And my other grandmother, apparently, I never knew her. She died when I was one. She was a cracker, apparently. Right. Very funny woman. So I'd like to say I'm not scarred by grandparents. <laughs> but it is, it's that literary tool where I wanted him to feel alienated. But, oh, that grandmother. Oh, she's a Freedom In this Road. one? Oh, she's well, Freedom Ride is such an interesting and compelling book and um, I think a really important book and I hope it's had a broad reach across Australia in Australian schools. And talking to the kids about it, Mm. they are just dumbfounded. Quite often they're Mm. sitting there with open mouths going, what? And I start off by saying, look, I know Australia is a racist country today. However, (laughs) (laughs) let's just have a look at because I didn't know anything about it. I knew nothing about the Freedom Ride before. Interesting, mm. interesting. Well, you obviously have a strong um, connection or sense of um, Aboriginal heritage, indig- you know, the place of the Indigenous, um, you know, their extraordinary legacy on the Australian oh, kind of continent and history. No, no, that's really good. And, of course, that comes through mm. very strongly in protest as well, which is a terrific book. Um and I'm really interested in that. So this sort of and, – and I see too that you're also working on a dictionary. I am. Of, of it's a – I've called it dictionary in its draft form and it's really – dictionary is not the right term for it, but it is a collection. Well, look, here's one I prepared earlier. Oh, God. This is the um, – this is the reading copy. Yeah. Um, that went out to stores and then we've since then we've gone, oh, hold on, let's pull it back and add a bit more to it. Yeah. But what I wanted to do here, and this was part of, really for myself and because I believe that our kids hopefully will get right but we've stuffed up so badly. And what I wanted to do was explain the difference between do you say Aborigine, do you say Aboriginal, do you say Indigenous? Thank you. You know, and what is it? Which do you use and when do you use which and one? And let's make sure we put a, a, an uppercase A. Yep, and so you use an Aboriginal people yes. when you know they're Aboriginal, yes. however, and it's capital A. That's right. And if you're not sure if they're Torres Strait Islander or Aboriginal, you say Indigenous, Indigenous. with a capital I. Mm. And Aboriginal with a lower case is only ever if you're talking about the Aboriginal people of the world. That's encompassing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in that, um, the difference between dreaming and dream time, it's dreaming, not dream time. Dream time's a um, colonisation mm. term. So things like that, stolen generation, men's business, women's business, guri. Like I used to do my head in, you know, when does a kuri become a Murray become a guri? Because Koori's sort of up to halfway through New South Wales, mm. 
and then up into Queensland and Nguri. And Noongar, where are they? They're Western Australia. So all those things that have they become second nature to kids, then they're not going to be like we are stumbling over ourselves going, well, I don't want to offend and not wanting to ask. So that's sort of, and fortunately for me, Auntie Faye Muir, who I'm co-writing with, is yes. just fantastic. Wonderful. And she's so patient. She's a Wadawurrung. And, uh, no, she's a Budenwurrung lady. Oh, she's a Budenwurrung. She lives in, she's a Budenwurrung elder, but lives in Geelong. And oh, fascinating. grew up around Mortlake and just the most incredible woman. I love Wonderful. her Wonderful. But she um, puts up with my, oh, Faye, I've got to ask, and she'll go, okay. <laughs> and very wonderful woman. I grew up in Bunurong country. Oh, radio. My mother actually used to um, teach. She was a member of the um, Aboriginal Advancement League in the 1960s. Ah, yeah. And we actually, Mudge, who became Burnham Burnham, mm. actually used to come to our home quite a lot. So I grew oh. up knowing, well, we used to call him Mudge, that who he was back then. Yeah. But um, so interesting. Oh. Um, you know, and I have Aboriginal heritage, so that's really. Oh, you lucky like, thing! Yeah, I think I always, so. I did say to Faye, "Is that a wrong thing to say?" But I just find the Aboriginal culture oh, it's fascinating. Beautiful. So they is, had it right. We don't. So this is a great, um, <clears throat> you know, I think a kind of, um, of of explaining the freedom ride. And Robbie's a great character. Oh, I love Robbie. No, I love Barry yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, and his mum. Those yeah. three. I just want to be a and Mickey. and you know, they're people who I think. Many people now would really identify with the Barrys mm. of this world, and, yep. and you know the Robbies of this world, and and would are aghast mm. at the at the townsfolk mm. of this fictional town that's kind of a compilation of the towns that the Not Freedom Riders. Not a very subtle one, really. Well, no, 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 no. But I that's looked okay. At it recently, yeah. it went Walgett, Moree, Walgaree. Yes, that's what you did there. <laughs> but, but Walgaree works really well, so mm. it's it's fine, and you know I think it's a really important book actually, um, in that way. And the fact is that we are coming, to, I think, to a much better consciousness of of what was here over mm. 200 years ago before white settlement um, and and the value of that, the things that were not valued then no. and that we need to value now. And so it's only really, I think, with knowing history in this way that the rising generation exactly. gets to really appreciate the importance. And yes. Yeah. You know, like I don't know when you were at school, but my education about Aboriginal people was they lived in Humpty, Humpties, <laughs> lived in Humpties in um, Central Australia, yeah. full stop. That's mm. it, you're done now. Mm. That was it right through 12 years of education. So what then brought you to this more empathetic sort of like where's the connection? I was, um, like you're... most of us in of my era, we grew up in a very racist time. Mm. You know, the language was appalling. Mm. The attitudes were appalling. I very much, and I don't know why, have been drawn to um, Aboriginal cultures. Mm. So Zulus, I was absolutely obsessed with African culture and African tribes and, mm. you know, um, oh, the whole lot, not just the Zulus, all of them. And American Indian just loved that culture, found it fascinating. And I was going over to save the world. I was going to stop apartheid because, you know, I really was horrified by it. I was indignant about it. How could you treat people like this? You know, the American civil rights stuff, Mm. oh, for the love of God, yay, Martin Luther King. And then I discovered only recently that it was all happening here. Yeah. And I just went, what 
just uh, like the Freedom Riders. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I and how it happened, I was writing this, mm. and I knew about the referendum, um, and that horrified me. That in my lifetime, Aboriginal people were classed as flora and fauna. Mm. You know, and that just floored me, and I and that's when I started to go, hold on a minute. But I was always too scared of getting it wrong. And I had mm. an Aboriginal woman say to me recently, you know, I was saying, oh, I've always, you know, wanted to know more, but I've been too scared. She has had that work for you. And I went, you're not really well. <laughs> not well at all, really. But as I was researching this, because I'd pitched this, I've been a, you know, save the whale girl. I've got my right. yes vote, vote yes badge. I mean, I'm a protester from way back. Good for you. Went down to the Franklin, you know, oh, yes. whole thing. Um didn't do any of the camping, though. I wanted showers and toilets. I'd happily <laughs> save it, but not that. Um, and I came across a photo, and I've got it in my crazy notebook that I keep. I came across a photo of a man with three Aboriginal children. It's not going to jump out at me now. I thought I um, had it marked. And I just went, oh, my goodness. And it's its not jumping out. Um, it's... Charles Perkins yes. in a swimming pool with Aboriginal children and the caption to it says, Charles Perkins in a pool with Aboriginal children in the pool at Moray that he helped desegregate. And you know in cartoons where you see the brakes go on and people go, I did that, I felt myself go, what? Desegregation? What do you mean desegregate? There wasn't segregation in Australia. What's that about? We're talking... The 1960s. Yeah, four years ago I found this out. Yeah. Never heard of it. And then I started looking and I was so angry. I was embarrassed. I was absolutely horrified. I was one of the people that they started this group, the um, SAFA, the Student Association for Aboriginals. They started that because there was a protest in Canberra against apartheid because the rugby players were coming, mm, mm. you know, the spring box. And someone said to them, look in your own bloody backyard. Yes. Have a look at the way you treat Aboriginals. Fix that first, Aboriginal people or Aborigine people. Yeah, Aborigines, yes. Time. Fix that first before you protest about the other. And oh, guilty as charged, except it took me a good 40 years to have the same thing said to me, and it was said to me through that photo. So... I started doing this at the time I was writing a World War II book on the role that women played in the war because we know about Kokoda and we know about, Mm. but we don't know and kids don't understand how momentous it was for women here with what happened. So I thought, right, that's me done, that's my next book. And I had a meeting with Marianne, my publisher, and I said to her, she said, how's protest? I said, good, good, and she says, how's World War II? And I went, "Mm, it's not happening. She said, why, what's gone wrong? Because um, it was all approved. Mm, mm, mm. I said, oh, my exact words were, the bloody freedom ride won't leave me alone. She'd tell me about it. And I said, oh, this is what I want to do. And she said, do it. Yes. I said, but I'm not Aboriginal. I'm not. You don't need to be. You know, and she said, that's exactly what she said. Yeah. She said, write it yeah. and we'll deal with all of that later. Yeah. <clears throat> so what I wanted to do was have a boy who knew things were wrong. Like I did. I knew the way we treat Aboriginal people, you know, while I didn't know what had gone on in the past, I knew we were horrible to them. I knew that, you know, there'd been massacres and stuff. And so I wanted him to be like me, ignorant. I wanted him to know things weren't right but not know exactly. And I wanted 
the story to come through his opening up of, oh, my God, this is appalling and these people are just people and why are we doing this? And that real horror of what's going on. Um, so that's, yeah, that's how that came about. It was- well, you pulled it off beautifully, but you also pulled it off, I think, with the whole familial relationship between Robbie and his terrible father and his mm. dreadful grandmother. Um, and I thought that was actually really well done because it did come down as it, I think it so often does when you're a believer in a cause, when you're a, a real champion for justice, that you have to pay a price yeah, for you that. Do. You do. And very often the price is a relationship mm. or a family member or a whole family perhaps. And finding that courage because, as yes. I said, you know, my family really were very racist. They're yeah. much better now. Um, Dad's since died but Mum, you know, we've got her around. We've taught her the way. Well done. Um, but... It took a lot of courage to sit at the end of the table and say to Dad, no. Yes. No, don't use that word and don't. And I started doing it in my 20s. Um, Good for you. It took a long time to do it. And so it, it is hard to do mm-hmm. when you've been brought up in that. But I thought, you know, even though this is a story for young adults, well, I mean, it's a great mm-hmm. adult book as well, um, you know, you really actually – covered all the major points and the the treatment of the Aborigines comes mm. through really vividly. It's very realistic, the hypocrisy of the mm. white men oh. and women, extraordinary. And That was tough to write. Yeah, it would have been very tough to write. Because, because of the audience, because it was young adult, but white men would go, you know, not have anything to do with women during the week, mm. Aboriginal women or Aboriginal men. They weren't even allowed in the shops. They could, weren't allowed in hospitals, blah, 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 blah. Friday night, few drinks. Let's pop down to the camp and yep. yeah, and, and, and have sex with, with women. Yeah, absolutely. And these people would the be ignoring their own children. Yeah, you know, often. Um, mm. And I wanted, and a term they used to use for it was gin jockey, and I found that just so. I wanted to use it because of how revolting it was, mm. and their disregard for these people as people. Well, incredible disrespect. Oh. And, you know, this but, whole that, that sense of superiority oh, just absolutely. by virtue of, you know, the, the shade of your skin, which and is so And therefore weird. I'm entitled yeah, to do yeah. this to you and you have no right to complain. Yeah, that's right. And also there's nothing – the whole concept of hypocrisy doesn't seem to come no, into it at all. not at any point. You know, good enough to sleep with you but not good enough for anything else. It's no. just like good enough to die for your country. Yeah. To serve in the army but the don't RSL. think you're coming to the RSL. And good enough to serve your country when you are actually on the flora and fauna. Yeah. You know, and a lot of Aboriginal men who served – um, they weren't actually allowed to. They had to lie about being Aboriginal because Aboriginal people weren't citizens. So yes, that's fight. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they took them in and they they sure did. let them fight and let them die. And that's how they got the vote. Aboriginal people got the vote. It was the soldiers who'd fought with Aboriginal men said, hey, these guys were good enough to die with us. Yeah. Surely they should be allowed to vote. Yeah. Well, it's one of the few referendums that's ever got the yes vote in Australian history. Yeah, the, the, the 1967 the referendum, change, yeah. 90% too, yeah. which is extraordinary. The vote was in the 60s that came in, yeah. the vote. So. Yeah, so which was mm. really fantastic. And the, a lot of this is covered in this fabulous, yes. you know, wonderful sort of brief but really um, evocative and in, yeah. a, in its own way comprehensive um, history, short history of protest in Australia. Yeah. Um, we wanted to show there's a series, and this is part of it, called Our Stories Yeah. that um, is how events have shaped Australia pretty mm. much. 
And so we decided we'd do protests, how protests mm. have shaped our nation. And now what Faye and I are writing at the moment is, and it's we call it Indigenous protest, but it won't be called that, but how Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders mm. have protested and got us to where we are today. Yeah. And looking at people like William Cooper, man, that guy, just the most incredible man in his role, like, People today go, you know, we shouldn't be, we've had Australia Day for a hundred and whatever years and we shouldn't be. No, we haven't. Australia Day's only just come in recently and one of the first celebrations of it in the 30s, Aboriginal people protested then. Mm. This isn't a new thing. No. And so we wanted to look at all that sort of stuff, you know, to Mabo, to... um, the Wave Hill Walk Off, to so that's our Indigenous one that'll be like a companion to this. Fantastic. Mm. Well, I really congratulate you, on, you on this because very um, proud of it. I did, yeah. It was very confronting to do. Yeah. Because I am a privileged white woman, middle aged yeah. woman. What right have I got? And that's where um, it's been wonderful. The acceptance and the encouragement from people like Faye going, "Yep, we've got to do this." Yeah. So. But also having said that, um, you know, to just in on behalf of some of the, you know, white, mm. uh, you know, privileged um, Australians, many of them have stood up mm. and said this exactly. is not okay. Yep. You know, my own mother, um, you mm. know, was a great um, advocate for saving Fraser Island, yep. um, the Franklin Dam, Lake Pedder. She actually yep. tried very hard to save oh, Lake Pedder. And, um, you know, the conservation battles are, are won and lost, but they'll always be there. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, you know. So this is a, a huge achievement. But uh, what's next on the horizon for Sue Lawson? What are we doing? Well, um, Faye and I have written four picture books that are explaining country, sharing, family and love, I think the other one is, to the Aboriginal understanding of oh, great. two kids. Great. And they'll be beautiful. They're being illustrated. The first two, sharing and country, are being illustrated at the moment. A couple of wonderful new talents. A lady from, wish I could remember her name, from Gippsland and her work's exquisite. Yeah. And the other one, um, both Aboriginal, and the other one is from Queensland. So they're underway at the minute. Fabulous. Uh, we're writing also... What else have we done? Oh, God. We've got a few in the pipes yeah. at the minute. Um, now, did you say you had a non-fiction book coming out? These are yeah. These are all the non-fiction. Oh, these are non-fiction. Oh, no, the um, the picture books are fiction, but right. But yeah, another non-fiction. So you've got the dictionary. That's dictionary, non-fiction. Yep. That comes out next year. That Ungana. Um, I won't have said so, that properly. But Only that's right. Keeps trying to teach so that'll be twenty eighteen. Yep, that'll be yep. next year. Okay. Uh, one of these next year. Um, the Indigenous protesters next year. Um, also, first first contact, which is basically on the massacres that occurred, right. which are quite fascinating. They occurred like a string bag being pulled, you know, from the yeah. outskirts of our nation. The very last massacres were in the centre. It's fascinating. I, I was calling it first conflict, and my publisher might like to change that to contact, perhaps a bit less inflammatory. Um, so yeah, it's it's amazing. So we're doing that. Um, what else? We're doing Indigenous protests. We're doing Indigenous people of note. So people like William Cooper and Charles Perkins mm. and just introducing mainstream schools to these incredible... Like William Cooper, people don't realise 
the very first and only protest about the Night of Glass for World War Two. you know, when the Germans Yes, had, yes, I certainly do. Yep, Kristallnacht. Um, yep, that yeah. I can never pronounce. In my pronunciation, shocking. That thing, Night of Glass, yeah. um, was here in Australia and it was led by William Cooper. Wow. And he's this man who's desperately trying to get land rights for his people yeah. and he has led a walk from Footscray to the city, to Collins Street, of the basically the Aboriginal Advancement League, yeah. these guys, and the 35 Aboriginal people walked in and took a petition to the German consulate. And he is recognised in Israel at one of the big Holocaust Museum. memorial places. Wow. He's got a memorial there, garden. Oh. Fantastic. And I'm, why don't we know that about him? You know, why don't we know this? What PR, it's all about getting the right publicity. So yeah. But you're doing your bit. Done. <laughs> this is fantastic. It is. And no, I'm no. very passionate well, about Well, yes, and, and that's They're just amazing brilliant. People. So it just mm. goes to show you can be white and mm. female and middle class and you can, yeah. you know, do your bit for yeah, the cause exactly. to make the world a better place, yeah. which is really what you're doing. Yeah, well, I hope so. And just trying to get But I'm hoping there are more young adults. Novels on there the will way. be. At the minute, there's not. At the minute, I'm just taking a little break. This took an awful lot out of me. Mm. I, this, the questioning, the doubt, the, you know, I remember the first time I was interviewed was actually by a group, uh, a guy, Rico, who does the Radio National program away. And I said, oh, Rico, I'm so nervous. He goes, why? I said, oh, God, you know, I, I don't want to make things worse. He goes, mate. You've got no complaints from any of us here. Yeah. You know, and if you get complaints, you send people to us. You're not going to make anything worse. No, and that was what I was worried about. No, no. His approval made me go, okay. I think it's a watershed book. I hope so. No, no, I do. I really highly recommend it. Mm, Highly, highly recommend it. So, you know, um, for many years to come, and I hope it's Mm. in schools and that students are studying it. Which is great, you know, and that's what. Needs to happen, otherwise, mm. you know. We it, keep doing it. Yeah, we don't make. You the have changes. to pull down those obstacles and those barriers to mm. understanding and acceptance. Yep, you know, exactly. it really needs to get up into other parts of Australia mm. across the nation. Yep, absolutely. Well, the podcast will go international. Fantastic. You know, so um, you know, and by the time the podcast is up, your new books will be out. Yes, they will, and people will be able to find them in the bookshops mm-hmm. and online, and that'll yep, be fantastic. Exactly. Mm. It's been just delightful. Oh, thank having you. you in the cave, Sue I've Lawson. Had the most wonderful time. Author extraordinaire. Thank you. Before you go, Sue, we always ask our guests in the book cave uh, the one question, and that is what are the three books that you would leave us in our virtual time capsule or mm-hmm. our book bin that you would like the world to read a thousand years from now? Right. Now, I've actually brought my oh, copies with me. Wonderful. Because I thought, I know we're virtual, however, I like the visual. Yeah, I do too. And I've, I can't be contained. I've actually done four. <laughs> I'm Our sorry. Our first rule breaker I know. in the book. I can't hey, help it. I'm that's focused. all right. This book, The Narrow Road to the Deep North, mm. is exquisite. Have you read that? Not yet. It's on oh, my to-be-read pile. God, it is. We're hoping Richard Flanagan will come into the book cave. I'll make him coffee and polish his shoes. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, this I'll tell him. This book blew me away, and mm. you can tell how battered it yes. is. I couldn't stop reading it. Mm. There are incredibly beautiful pieces of humour in it that that he tells it with such a – it's such a horrendous story. Mm. It's the Burma Railway, obviously. Mm. Um, but the friendship and the – 
their their ability to survive and their courage is incredible mm. and he's done it beautifully. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that book. So, yeah, you've got to have that. So a virtual. worthy Booker Prize winner. Oh, absolutely. Marvelous. I cried when he won. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, oh, great. Um, now I'm looking forward to reading this one. No, definitely it is beautiful. It, I can't speak highly enough about it because I looked and went, oh, I've got quite new ones, but I thought, no, nothing has affected me as much as that book. Mm. And I still think about one of the characters in particular. Um yeah, beautiful. And not the main character, he's sort of a side character. Scott Gardner, he actually was at the John Marsden conference that I was at. He was at the second one, I think. Right. And he was, um, we all hated him because he got a contract straight away. Oh. But we didn't hate him. He's the most divine man. I love Scott to death. But Scott writes young men like no one I have ever read. Oh. His books are beautiful and his characters are so real and quite often um, they're troubled kids that could go either way and this one, The Dead I Know, it actually won Book of the Year a couple of years ago. It's one of my favourites. Having said that, I've just read his new one, I Love Sparrow, and the one that follows this is exquisite but I didn't have it on the shelf. I'd lent it to someone. So it had to be The Dead I Know. So if you're looking for just incredible example of Australian non-fiction, young adult fiction, that is beautiful. Fantastic. Amazing man. If you want to talk to him, I can make Love it to talk to Scott. And this book is the most exquisite picture book. It is a picture book, but really it's for adults and for older people. And it's Fox by oh. uh, Margaret Wilde and Ron Brooks. And it's about friendship. It's about betrayal. Loneliness. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, that line. Now Even you know, about bushfire and Australia. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now you know what it's really like to be alone. I have to um, say it gave me goosebumps reading yeah. it. I really, it was really it quite extraordinary. beautiful. Yeah. And then I thought for the would-be writers, I had to bring this in. Mm. When I read Eat, Pray, Love, I sort of went, yeah, yeah. I didn't like the Eat, I loved the Pray, Love, but it didn't do much for me. Then I read um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Signature of All Things. Loved it. Right. I went, man, you can write. Yes. She really, she's incredible. Eat, Pray, Love does her writing no favours. Yeah. She's brilliant. So she's brought out this book a couple of years ago, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear, and it's about the need to be creative. And one of the big things I got from it, in fact, that's the chapter, was in your office you should have, not you know, no such thing you should, but you should, should have a chair with, it's called fear, and that's where you make fear sit. And you sit when you walk in and you think, oh, you make fear sit in the chair and you're right. Yep. And you can pick up fear when you leave the room. And I just Great. just really enjoyed really, it. Really, and resonated. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Very freeing book. Oh, it's I look great. forward to that one. Yeah, it, it's good. Fantastic. So there you go. Yes, well, I know I broke the rules, but it's No, wonderful. no, you're allowed because one of them's a picture book. So exactly. Just, yeah, well, that's right. And this one's. Yeah. And this know, is a really, a, yeah, it's a how to. Yeah, exactly. yeah, encouragement. Okay. Well, we love it. That's just great. Thank you, Sue, for your oh, contribution to our virtual you. book bin and, you know, millennium time capsule. Mm-hmm. It's been an absolute pleasure having you in the book cave. Thank, Thank you. you so much, and perhaps we'll have you again one day. Oh, love a chat. Love to talk about books anytime. Thank you, Sue Thank Lawson. You. In the Book Cave was recorded at the Mance with the assistance of 94.7 FM Geelong and produced by Corner Shop Studios, Jam Lab, and Creative Geelong. <laughs>